Morning, everyone. Kia ora. <laughs> no, we heard, you should have been here a couple of weeks ago when we heard uh, Joe Hughes, was it two weeks ago? Or one week ago? When you've got a baby, all days merge into one. <laughs> Joe shared about kia ora, that it actually means be well. Is that right, Joe? I love the title of that message, Be Well. God has come to make us well, and he is making us well. And so that's what these times of prayer and of ministry, uh, every Sunday morning we're, we invite a response to who God is, his invitation for us to be made well, physically, spiritually, emotionally, and in every way. It's an awesome invitation. Um, and I know that as a community, we are entering into the wellness of God as he starts to work in our hearts and our minds and transforms us to make us like Christ. It's awesome. First time I've been under the spotlights. <laughs> I don't know if you guys notice that, but I notice it. It's like right in my face now. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's always a wrestle to know what to bring in a message. There's so many things that God is speaking, doing in this community that to pinpoint one particular thing, it's almost like there's too many options. There's too many things that we could talk about, but what is it? that God is wanting to do here and now. That's the challenge for people that stand in the pulpit. That's the challenge for people who play a musical instrument. That's the challenge for those who attend a Tuesday night life group. What is it that God is speaking? What is it that he's stirring? What is it that he's inviting us into for us to partake of? And so this morning I've got a few things that I'd like to just put out there right from the beginning so that if we don't end up going there, at least you'll have them <laughs> on the recording. You know, there's a, a scripture that stirred within me probably a few weeks back. And the context of it is incredibly bizarre. It's probably the most serious and severe passage, one of them in the New Testament. And this one particular scripture is kind of sandwiched in between these two intense verses. And yet in the middle of this serious and intense piece of writing, this letter, it's almost like there's this burst of light that comes forth in the midst of it. This light that penetrates the darkness. And this eternal promise that can't be contained. This heart, this Father's heart of God that breaks forth in the midst of this serious and severe warning. And the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who he is, but he, to me it's almost like he can't contain himself. You know those people that you come across that... They've always got something funny to say. 
And in the midst of this serious situation, it's like they can't help cracking a joke. Come on, you, know, you all know those people. But yet this is no joke. It's, a, it's serious business, it's a serious situation, and yet bursting forth uncontainably is this beautiful and eternal promise. And it says this, that we can taste of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. Have you heard that verse before? Most people, when they start reading this chapter, their eyes kind of skip over it because it's too intense. And so they miss the eternal weight of gold that's contained within it. It's the response that I've had to everyone who's asked me, what am I going to preach about on Sunday? Tasting of the powers of the age to come. What? I didn't even know that was in the Bible. Well, it is. And it's an internal promise and an invitation for us all to taste the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. What on earth does that mean? We're going to look at that this morning. So this morning, I'd like to talk about the eternal promise, but I don't want to talk about what the promise is. If you're interested in what the eternal promise is, is on the board behind us, you could go and listen to one of the thousand sermons that's been preached for the last six years, and you'll hear the eternal promise. It'll probably come out anyway, but it's not the purpose of this morning. What I'd like to talk about is what it means to receive that promise. How do we enter into it? And so for those of you who are here for the first time, I'd really encourage you to perhaps go back and have a listen to some of the sermons over the past few months because it will give you a bit more context for what it is that we're looking at. So we're invited to taste of the powers of the age to come, to taste of this eternal promise. When you hear the word eternal, what does it make you think of? Is it something that's future? Possibly. But in fact, when we talk about an eternal promise, we talk about a promise that's everlasting, a promise that never ends. It's not about when, it's about what it is, the substance of it. It endures, it lasts forever. It's not just, it is something that's future, but it's also something that's now. It's something that is everlasting. And so my three key points I'm just going to tell you from the get-go. Number one, the eternal promise of God is not earned, it's received. Number two, in receiving this eternal promise, our lives are altered and we live totally differently. And number three, living from this eternal promise is what brings glory to God on the earth through the church. Those are the three key points. Repeat them. The eternal promise of God is something to be received, not earned. In receiving this eternal promise, our lives are altered and we live totally differently. And number three, living from this eternal promise is what brings glory to God 
on the earth through the church. Cool? So, I thought I'd set the scene this morning by talking a little bit about what it means to receive. And currently, in the Willis household, we have an eight-month-old baby. And he's in the process of going from drinking milk to eating solid food. All the parents would know what that process is like. And so... Up until this particular point, Levi had only ever known milk. Milk, breakfast, lunch, dinner, midnight snack. (laughs) His second midnight snack at 2am. Early morning snack at 5am. Milk for every meal. It was his life source. It's what he functioned on. It was the thing that sustained him, the thing that motivated him. We always... Oh, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I've already had a warning from my wife not to <laughs> talk about anything too personal. <laughs> um, so Levi's life source was milk. And we've been charged as parents of transitioning from his life source to what now it is that he, was, he would actually need, that would actually sustain him long term, from milk to solid food. And so what does that transition look like? There's a few options. Could get Levi to fast milk. Just cut it out. No more milk. In the hope that he'll discover himself how to, you know, make some food. I don't know. And you laugh, and yet the reality of the gospel and the context that it was preached in, this legalistic law, which in the day was a Jewish law, but even as I was just dialoguing with Paul this morning, he's just talking about this law that actually it's not really about a Jewish set of rules at all. It's an operating system. Anything can become a law reading your Bible, praying, anything, joining a discipleship group. It's a set of rules and a structure that doesn't lead to life. And so this is what the law tries to do. Don't steal, don't lie, don't commit adultery. Cut it out. Stop behaving the way that you're behaving. Stop living the way that you're living. Imagine what it would look like to treat Levi in that way. Just stop drinking milk. Actually, it produces death. It would produce death physically, and when we try and live like that, it produces death spiritually. And yet, there's an eternal promise and an invitation to partake. It says that we are to taste of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. So we didn't make Levi fast milk. We introduced another food source. So we introduced... What do we introduce first, Tess? 
pumpkin. <laughs> that reminds me of another interesting point. So we introduced pumpkin into his diet. Now, just in case you wondered the effect that the word of God can have in someone's life, <laughs> Levi literally turned orange. <laughs> literally. Tess took him to the doctor and they said, it's the pumpkin. <laughs> That's the power of the word of God. There's a transition that needs to take place. Where you go from eating of that which is temporary, earthly, to eating of that which is heavenly and eternal. And so we introduced a new food source. We introduced pumpkin. Because what kind of parents would we be to let our eight-year-old son turn in, sorry, eight-month-old son turn into a year, turn into three years, turn into five years, and he's about to go to school, but he's still drinking milk. A life source that would not give him the substance and the capacity that he would need to function as a five-year-old human being. God is inviting us to a quality of life and relationship in him that will require a heavenly and a divine food source for us to partake of. The things of this earth won't cut it. And so... He gives us a taste of that which is heavenly and eternal. He feeds us with the good word of God. He introduces another food source that we would transition into. If you'd like to go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. title of this chapter is probably one of my favorites in the Bible. It says this, God's gracious dealings. God's gracious dealings. He's incredibly gracious towards us. eh? And it says this, all the commandments that I'm commanding you today, you shall be careful to observe, to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know. Nor did your fathers know that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out, nor did your foot swell these years. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you as a man disciplines his sons. Powerful, powerful passage. So God invites them out into the wilderness and it says that he humbled them and he let them go hungry. 
But that's not the end of the passage. And he fed them with manna. He had them transition from one food source to another. He didn't just humble them and make them go hungry. He provided them living manna, the true food source, the true life that would actually sustain them. So why this is important is to see God's gracious dealings, the way that he works with us, where he himself takes it on himself to provide for us what we need to transition between eating of the food that is of the earth to the food that's eternal. He provides for us everything that we need for life and for godliness. It's not earned. It doesn't come through the law. It's received. And so, like with Levi, he hasn't earned his food. He's received it. And so, for us to taste of the powers of the age to come, to taste of the eternal promise, it's not something that we earn through the law. It's something that we receive through faith. The law disqualifies. It tells you what you aren't. But the promise qualifies. Who's able to receive this eternal promise? Who's invited into it? All of us. And I was sharing... I think with, with the elders the other day about a certain person that I was talking with who in every other sense of the word had been absolutely and totally disqualified from being part of the church. A friend of mine who is a homosexual and had come to service after service and had been told that he's not welcome. And yet this young man has had an incredibly rough and broken background. Is he disqualified? Is he disqualified from receiving the eternal promise of God, of tasting the heavenly gift and the powers of the age to come? See, the Lord disqualifies. You can't partake, unfortunately. Sorry, Levi. You're not, you haven't fasted food enough, you haven't done enough to receive this other life. Actually, the promise of God is a promise. It's not determined by who we are, what we do. It's eternal, unchanging. And what I'm not doing is endorsing a particular form of behavior. But how are we as people going to hear the gospel unless the church presents and preaches about an eternal promise that's open 
to everyone. And when we receive this promise, there's this process of transformation where we go from where we were to living for him. It's in receiving this eternal promise that our lives are dramatically, totally, and completely altered. It's in tasting, it's in receiving the heavenly gift and the heavenly call. That's where all transformation starts. If you'd like to turn to Hebrews 11. Chapter 17, Paul last week talked about these men of faith. And I'd like to touch on that again this morning. It says, Hebrews eleven seventeen. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, and Isaac, your descendant, shall be called. He considered that God was able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received them back as a type. Interesting. So Abraham received a promise, the promise of a son. And it says this, He who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received them back as a type. So Abraham received an eternal promise, and the response was to offer up his son. Now, in this particular passage, what is so important to see is not the offering up of the Son, but the receiving of the eternal promise. When we think about Noah, it says that God spoke to Noah about unseen things, and in reverence he built an ark for the salvation of his household. Abraham had been given a promise. He had seen, he had tasted of something that was heavenly and eternal. So much so that he reasoned in his heart, he was convinced, he saw that if he was to offer his only son up to God to be sacrificed, that God would raise him from the dead. When you look at it through the law, give up your son. Okay. Resting in that moment is, man, Abraham, what 
a devoted, pious, incredible man, prepared to sacrifice everything that he has, give up even his own son. Actually, that's not what's going on here. He received a promise. He received sight. He received a taste of that which was heavenly, eternal, the powers of the age to come. He knew that God would raise him from the dead. What a difference. A man who had received. He knew that God would raise him from the dead. Where is the loss? There's a loss if it's a sacrifice, if it's through the law. But if it's through the promise, the unshakable promise, there's no loss, there's only gain. Think about it this way. What if I asked you to give up all of your money? How would that make you feel? Is that a big ask? Yeah, it is. Your life savings, give them, give them all away. But don't we do that every day? Do we not put our life savings into a bank? If you don't, that's weird. <laughs> Hiding, cutting a hole in your mattress. That's putting your money, that, that's bizarre. To not put and entrust your life savings to a bank is weird. Why? Because of your perspective, because of your thinking. You know that if you put your money in the bank, you're going to receive it back and with interest. You have a confidence. There's some there's certainty about it. There's not a sense of loss associated with it. There's only gain. This is what the heavenly and eternal promise does for us. It instills such confidence. And so Jesus says, Make for yourself money belts that never wear out. We can have a greater trust in the earthly monetary system than in the unchanging, eternal promises of God. We can entrust everything that we are and everything that we own to a financial system and yet when it comes to the one who is ultimately faithful above anything else to perform on his promise, the one who spoke all of creation into being, the one who every single word that he has said has only ever come true and has only ever proven to be faithful throughout all of human history, can we not entrust ourselves and everything that we are in light of his faithfulness, the faithfulness of his eternal promise for us. Isn't that massive? He's faithful. Seeing and tasting of the heavenly gift will do that for us. If I told you you had to give up your money, it would provoke outrage. And yet that's what the gospel does. When it arrests us from where we had our faith, our trust, and our confidence in ourselves, 
and compels us into another way of living, operating, receiving. I was going to show a little video of Levi when he had his first taste of food and of water, and it's not always a nice scene. (laughs) And yet there was a transition that had to happen. In receiving and tasting of this heavenly gift and the powers of the age to come, there's a faith, there's a confidence that comes within our hearts to who God is and what he's inviting us into. This was seen all throughout the Bible. So for example, with Joseph, And Joseph had a vision. He had a taste of what God was calling him into. He saw a vision of himself as a ruler and of a governor. And he received that promise. And the impact that that had had on his life could not be taken away by any earthly situation. He shared that vision with his brothers and they tried to kill him and at the last moment they said oh we'll we'll spare your life but we'll sell you into slavery and so he got thrown in a prison and yet in the depth of this prison cell there was a life and a light that broke forth from within him that couldn't be contained so much so that the head jailer put him in charge of all of the different people in the jail That's what the promise of God will do. It will have you living as a king in the midst of a jail. The situation could not contain him. So he ruled and he governed in that prison. And as Christians, it says that we're called to rule in life through Jesus Christ. When we receive of that heavenly call, that heavenly promise, and it touches our hearts, You're changed from the inside and your life now becomes defined by what he's done in you as opposed to the situations that are going on around you. It'll have you valuing things that the world doesn't value. It can't value it because it hasn't seen, because it hasn't tasted, it hasn't eaten of the heavenly gift and this new life source that changes thinking, perspective, motives. It's living in this way that brings glory to God on the earth. Take Abraham. Like I was saying before, Abraham, this man of faith, this man of power, and yet, to see him in that light is almost to exalt the man. I wonder how we think of one another. I wonder how we think of Greg. Man, this man of faith. And yet, actually, when you take a step back, it's the God who is faithful to perform on his promise. With Abraham, it wasn't that Abraham 
was anything in and of itself. It was the God who was faithful to Abraham, the God who could give him such a quality of sight that made him see his son if he was to give him up as being received, received back. A quality of sight that will have you taking your entire life savings and putting them in a bank account. It's called the kingdom of God. Everything about this glorifies God because it's a work that only he can do. If you think about a classroom and a group of kids in a classroom, one group of rat bags, drop kicks, no hopers, and another star students, A-plus students that always do well. And you have a, a teacher in one class each. And the A-plus students, at the end of the term, they get A-plus. They smash it. They do well. And the other dropkicks, they get A-plus. Where does the glory go? To the kids or to the teacher? When it's his work, his power, his life, his heavenly gift, his heavenly calling, when he gives us a taste of that which is eternal and everlasting, it's him, it's he's the one who gets the honour, the glory, the reputation. Paul talks about being someone in whom God's perfect patience was demonstrated. I certainly feel that way in my life. <laughs> I've had a number of years of, of walking with God. And the longer that you go on with him in a quality of relationship, the more your eyes are turned from anything that you can contribute and are fixed on his goodness, his power, his life, and what he's done within you. That's why the elders cast their crowns before the feet of the Lamb, the elders, those who you would think have some sort of spiritual stature are the very ones who are on their knees in reverence and awe of the one through whom all life comes. In fact, that's probably what makes them elders is that very posture. And so for us as his church, we are invited to taste of that heavenly gift. And like Sandra shared this morning about blind Bartimaeus, there's something that must well up within us on the inside, a stirring of his spirit to enter in, to taste of his promise that produces life with us on the inside.
I think that's probably enough for now. I would just like to clarify about what I was saying before about my friend, because I feel like that was a little bit of a, uh, and just say that what I'm not endorsing is that kind of living in a church community. What I'm saying is that the love of God is above and beyond our broken human condition. So I hope that that's what you hear. Because how will they hear unless there's a preacher? And how will they preach unless they're sent? And sent not from location to location, but sent from God's heavenly perspective to bring a divine word that will set them free from their brokenness and the lifestyle that they're living in. Absolutely. And that is all of us. We are that broken person. We are the ones who are earthly, who are fixed on the things, addicted to the things of the earth. And so he steps into our brokenness and into our mess. He steps in when our entire life source is milk and he presents something that we can grab hold of, that sets us free from ourselves and has us living in a totally different way. It's the only thing that will get us through. It'll, it is so set up in this way. The law is so set up to bring us to our knees, show us our desperate need for a saviour, to put to produce a posture within us where we hunger, we yearn, we're so dissatisfied with our current condition. And like a light that bursts forth on a dark day, his gospel comes in and penetrates our hearts with a love that we had never experienced before. Heals us, restores us, makes us new and has us living totally different um, from the earth. So, Father, I pray that we would have that posture within us to receive of the heavenly gift, to taste of the powers of the age to come that would set us free from that which is earthly and temporary, and have us eating of the food source that's eternal. Father, I pray that we would all, like Jesus, be able to say, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. That we'd be nourished, satisfied by the words of life. And like Peter would say, who, where can we go? For you hold the words of eternal life. So, Father, let those words have their perfect work within us, setting us free from our pride and our ego, our confidence in ourselves, and having us firmly rooted and established and confident with another kind of confidence, a sufficiency that's not from ourselves, but that's from you. So, Father, we pray that your spirit would stir um, and do this.
perfect and mature work within us as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, well, go and have a good day, everyone. If you'd like anything clarified or you heard something that you weren't sure about, can you please come and talk with me?